live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Here's Carr back into the gun. In trouble. Going to get hit from behind. Sack fumbled. Ball's loose. This is the press box. Derek, uh, the, uh, the wide receivers didn't get a lot of get a lot of targets and catches today. Obviously, um, is this uh, what you say? What's that? Darren did though. Oh yeah, yes he did. Okay, we checked that box this week. On ESPN Las Vegas. Ah, <laughs> uh, Derek Carr doesn't listen or read anything anyone says. David Carr does though. David and Darren Carr do, and then they tell Derek, and Derek understands what everyone is saying about him. So. David Carr went on Colin Coward this week. I wonder if Derek sent him on there. Probably did. I, I, there's a good chance I think he might have sent him on there and said, this is what we need to say here. This is what we need to get out. going to talk about that later in the show. Oh, are we? Yeah. Good I should know the rundown. Yeah. <laughs> I read 7 o'clock. <laughs> then we just go from segment to segment. But, uh, yeah, I, I was listening to David Carr the other day, and the whole thing I'm the whole time I'm thinking, now he's, maybe David was going to go on Colin and was asked, but... I'm thinking there was a conversation between Derek and David said, well, Dave, I mean, if you could maybe throw this out there about the extension and what I need around me, that wouldn't be too bad. David Carr is an analyst that has predicted a, what, an MVP for Derek, coach of the year for Gruden, and what, a Super Bowl appearance for the Raiders? I think so. And he is still employed as an analyst. Well, you don't have to be right to be an analyst. I mean, can you be that wrong? I think that's better if you're that wrong, actually. Well, if you're going to do it, at least be Stephen A. Smith about it. Or he, if you're, He is. He gets very upset if you say something bad about his brother. Very upset. I think he's gone two straight to MVPs. He has. I think he's gone two-time MVP. He deleted his tweet uh, this year when he proclaimed Derek Carr was going to be the best MVP the league's ever seen. He deleted that? Yeah, he deleted it. Only because Darren had it early in the day and they didn't want to like cross over <laughs> tweets. And, you know, then it's like, hey, you guys, uh, you know, getting together and seeing what we're doing here. All right. The Friday. first bite. The first bite today is brought to you by Chicken Filet. Is Josh McDaniel the Raiders next head coach? Got a hot take for you. I've been thinking about this all morning. I have no idea. <laughs> He's not the best in the business for nothing, <laughs> folks. Henry Ruggs was fast. Marcus Mariota is big. And I don't know who what the hell Josh McDaniels. And I know he's interviewing with Mark Davis today, Friday. And uh I don't know. Um they already interviewed um Ziggler for the uh Dave Ziegler for the uh GM job. And early on there was this whole sense that it was gonna be a package deal, then it kind of cooled off. But maybe now it's back on. Maybe this package deal's back on. So that's What's fascinating to me, because Vic Tafer wrote a whole story on this like two days ago about Josh McDaniels. He wrote, there was a strong buzz Tuesday morning around a Patriots duo of Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels coming to Las Vegas. But 24 hours later, that seems to have quickly muted. Like Vic Tafer wrote this as though at the beginning of the week, people thought Josh McDaniels was going to be the Raiders head coach. And then all of a sudden that kind of went away. And then it's back again Thursday afternoon with the reports that Josh McDaniels is going to get an interview with Mark Davis on Friday. It's the pull package deal thing is weird, right? I don't know. Wouldn't Dave Ziegler want someone that he's comfortable with or knows really well? So I guess they hire him first. So they, they interviewed Dave Ziegler as the, as the general manager and 
I get these. Here's why it's weird to me. The idea that there's a package deal would imply that Dave Ziegler is going to get the GM job and then immediately hire Josh McDaniels. Right. Like Dave Ziegler's not even going to conduct a search of any sort. Well, it's almost like Dave Ziegler during his interview said, if you get, if you hire me, I can get you Josh McDaniels. Now, I don't know if Mark Davis thought that was a good thing at the time. Right. That sounds, who knows? That sounds like a horrible process. If you're the Raiders, like if you're Mark Davis and you're hiring a general manager and he says, well, I'm, I'm bringing this head coach with me no matter what. That sounds like a horrible process if you're the Raiders, right? Like you, Unless you he's would bring in Bill Belichick. I guess, yeah, and you're not. <laughs> you're bringing a guy who's failed as a head coach before. Yes. Like it's not. I don't know. To me, if you hire Dave Ziegler as your general manager, and he's the reason Josh McDaniels is going to be the head coach, I almost feel like that's that's a bad process because you would want to hire the GM and then have the GM do an actual search. Because again, you hire a GM. He can hire anybody. He doesn't have to hire his friend who's working right. with him in New England. He can interview anybody. He can Unless interview, he loves his friend in New England. Which he obviously does. If, right. this, is, if this is how the scenario is If this is, is a package out. deal, he loves Josh McDaniels. But that's horrible process if you're the Raiders. Like, if you're Mark Davis and you're hiring the general manager, and then you're going to let the general manager basically hire the coach, I think you'd want the general manager to do a real search and not just um, bring his friend. I- yeah, I agree with you, but what if he does the coaching search and, for lack of a better term, it's just a farce anyway? He goes and talks to, like, I don't know. They've already talked to uh, some candidates for the head coaching job. I don't know maybe if he'd go back and talk to them himself, but if he goes out there and says, sure, I'll do a search. Right, and that's a bad along, process. That's, that's, all that's along, what my point he knows is. it's Josh yeah, McDaniels. It's a bad process overall because you're hiring a GM who already has his mind made up without actually doing the job of general manager. You're hiring a guy who's like, oh, yeah, Josh McDaniels is my friend. Bring him on board. He's our new head coach, no matter what, no matter who else is out there, no matter how else they interview or don't interview. Like that to me is just bad process at the end of the day. Like you, if you're hiring a GM to hire a head coach, the GM should be actually conducting a head coaching search, not just hiring his well, friend that he works. Would, with. We ju- would we assume it's a bad process if at the end of the process, Dave Ziegler still thinks Josh McDaniels is the best candidate? Or would no, we if not they, believe him? If they had, well, we probably wouldn't believe him, to be honest. But, yeah, if they had an actual search. and he, At the end, he said, I think this guy right. is the best guy. And that's what he truly believed. And sure, absolutely. That's that's good process. Now, again, we probably wouldn't believe him. But that, to me, would be an actual process that you went through. Otherwise, this is just Mark Davis has wasted three weeks interviewing random head coaching candidates and then hired Dave Ziegler, who then brings Josh McDaniels along and... I don't know, and he might end up being a fine head coach the second time around. But yeah, yeah. There's a chance. Still There's not, a chance he's grown and he learned because it was a complete disaster in Denver. Yeah, where he got a season levels. and a half. Didn't season even get and a half through year two. Eleven and seventeen. Everything you read, everything you hear, complete control freak. Had control. They gave him control of everything, so maybe that's on the Broncos. Alienated the best players. Uh, that's smart. Always smart. Yeah, always smart. Taught, you know, leading draft picks in the first, second round were busts. Uh, had he's almost like he's almost like Mayock and Gruden. His be, his best draft picks were like in the fourth or fifth <laughs> round, but it was a complete bust. The videotaping in London, yep. uh, he he was a disaster in Denver. But that doesn't mean uh, what is it? Since he's been was it 2012? I actually like blinked at that number. I'm like, I can't believe he's been back that long. It doesn't mean he hasn't grown and matured and 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 known what he did wrong and won't be better. You can't. I mean, we don't know that. You got to give him the benefit of doubt until he until he becomes a head coach again. I I actually think it's more concerning than the Denver tenure that he took the Colts job and then did not that take one. the Colts job <laughs> that he was going to be the Colts head coach. And then the same day said, you know what? 
I don't want to be the right. Colts head coach. That's a little bit more concerning because, like, the Broncos stuff, it was a season and a half. It was we're looking at like a decade ago at this point, right? Like, obviously, it wasn't good, I can't believe it's but, been that long, but you're right. But it's been like a decade, and it was only a season and a half. It's not like this guy was a bad head coach for five years, right. a season and a half. Whatever. You can get past that. Guys have bad seasons and a half all the time and are still good head coaches. But a guy that took a head coaching job and then immediately did not take a head coaching job when he had the Indianapolis Colts job that, and that was like three years ago. That was what? 2018 or 19. Like that was when they hired Frank Reich. Yeah. They, they luck sacked into Frank Reich. (laughs) So that was like, that just happened. So that actually is a bigger concern for me, but we'll see. I, I don't know. I find it interesting that we will have, if we, if this ends up being Ziegler and McDaniels, that we will have had this entire like, Hey, Mark Davis is interviewing Byron Leftwich or whatever candidates he's been interviewing. And then he hires a general manager first. And then the GM already has his coach picked out. That to me just would seem odd. And well, it wasn't uh, Dave Ziegler. One of the first people he interviewed. Yeah. As a, I G- think as a, as GM, a GM candidate. candidate I think, I think so. he was one of the first ones. Yeah, I think so. Um, Raiders fans aren't going to be happy if it's Josh McDaniels, right? Is there uh, any reason to be excited about Josh McDaniels? They are so obsessed with that team. They'll eventually uh, talk themselves I, into it. I think Twitter will oh. blow up with that. They'll eventually blow up and say, this guy's the greatest thing. They want so badly to win a Super Bowl, and they're so obsessed with this team. I think they talk themselves into a lot in terms of going in a positive direction. Oh, see, I, I, one of the best parts of working behind the scenes and having to pull sound each week is there is a live chat on YouTube. These fans... Oh, oh yeah. These the, fans are the biggest yeah. gatekeepers of their own team that I've ever seen, where they're just like, no, you're a, you're a car guy. Well, you're not a car guy. Right. Well, you're a... Like, they just will go at each I other's throats, yeah. and it's just like, you guys are rooting for the same team. That's on the YouTube when they do the post-game virtuals, and you can see their comments all the way down there. And they're... I mean, it's just one after the other, after the other, after the other. Do you buy into the idea that Bill Belichick assistants aren't any good? Well, I mean, I don't know if I buy into it, but I see the numbers. So Josh Dubow tweeted out, Bill Belichick's seven Patriots assistants who have gotten head coach uh, jobs have combined to win 41% of their games. They have five playoff appearances in 27 years. Bill O'Brien's responsible for four of those. Uh, Eric Mangini is the only other Patriots assistant to make the playoffs in 27 total seasons as head coaches somewhere else. I don't know what to do with that. Pretty good. Because we we almost have the same thing in college football where it's like guys can't beat Nick Saban if they coached under Nick Saban. Granted, that changed this year. That changed this year. But it's I don't know what to do with that, but that 27 seasons and seven different coaches, it's not a small sample size. No. That's not two or three guys went on and failed. That's seven guys, and they got 27 seasons and won 41% of their games. Like, that's a significant sample size of one guy's assistant coaches, one guy's coaching tree all being bad for the most. Like when we're talking about Bill O'Brien's the most success, like that's the ceiling for uh Patriots assistants. It's not good. Isn't he with Nick Saban? <laughs> but he's apparently who was it? I think Schefter reported that if Josh McDaniels takes the Raiders job, He's bringing O'Brien's going no. O'Brien's going back to New England to be the offensive. Oh, to be the offensive. Oh, poor Brian Hoyer. I thought Brian Hoyer was next in line. Which, by the way, Nick Saban's running the best rehabilitation center in the country. Lane Kiffin. If you're if you're a failed coach, 
go to Alabama, be an offensive analyst for however long you need to be, and then you're getting a job later. Sarkeesian. Yep. You Kiffin, are getting O'Brien. coaching job, coordinator job. You are getting yep. a job. That is the best rehabilitation center in the entire country. I don't know what to make of that either. I'd like to, and I certainly can't at this moment, go through each individual case. Because I think that means something too. Like, what did they inherit? Who did they take over? What happened during their tenure? I mean, I mean, I, it is poor a, it Romeo is Cornell. <laughs> yeah, it is a big sample size. Oh my god! I mean, pencil, pencil in the ear guy. I don't think he was going to succeed anywhere. <laughs> I, I mean, he, that that guy wasn't going to succeed. He could have been the best position possible, and pencil in the ear guy was not going to succeed. The Lions replaced pencil in the ear guy with bite your kneecaps guy. Yeah, and, and the team seemed genuinely happy. Like they went from like pencil in the ear guy to. Oh, my God. Thank God we have a normal person in charge. All right. Coming up next, the Golden Knights lost last night. It was because of the bad ice, wasn't it? As the final five seconds take off, Panthers with the puck in their own zone. And they will clear it out. And here is the final horn. Final score in Sunrise. Florida Panthers 4, Vegas Golden Knights 1. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Grady and Tyler Bischoff. We got a Bad ice, Ed. It's all the bad oh, ice. I'm so tired of that. And they were talking about it during the broadcast. They're talking about it after the broadcast. They're asking the. They're asking. Well, I don't even think they asked. Uh, I gave the only guy I gave credit to is Zach Whitecloud when he's asked about the ice because I don't comment on that stuff. Good for him. But everyone else, I love. I love. The ice was bad, but it was for same for both teams. Same sheet for both teams. Like okay. Don't mention it. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to know about the ice. Win the game. I hate, I, that stuff drives me nuts, especially when they follow it up with the caveat, oh, but it was the same for both teams. But I want to get it out there that the ice was bad. <laughs> Who cares? Just play the game. It was like a tennis ball, though, Ed. Uh, bouncing around. Can't get a hold of the puck. I don't know. Florida seemed to hold the puck pretty well. So they had Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, Riley Smith all back. They're missing Alec Martinez still. And obviously Jack Eichel, but a brief couple of weeks with this team not being close to full health. Now they're back or almost back. You know what I enjoy doing during Golden Knights games right now is every time somebody makes a mistake thinking ah, that's the one that's going to get him traded. Like Shea Theodore last night. He's getting traded now because oh, he turned it over and God. led to the empty net. What kind, how bad was that turnover? That was bad. He's really just skating back, no pressure, pick yeah. the puck up, skate back up ice and try to score the game time. Go, oh, lost the puck in the Florida Panthers yeah. score and the game is over. That's one of the worst turnovers you'll ever see. It's very bad. Well, and the last time a Golden Knight fumbled the puck in front of his own net and gave up a goal, that guy got traded to Chicago. Shea Theodore on the way out. That's the turnover that sealed his fate as a Golden Knight. <laughs> Not going to be one anymore. I'd find that funny because somebody, I mean, Darren Millard won't answer our questions when we try to ask him about it, but somebody's getting traded. Yes. Or hurt. <laughs> one of the two. Or mysteriously hurt. Yes. One of the two. And there's quite, and it's the interesting part is that there's so many different names that it could be, right? It's not like, oh, there's only like two options. Like you could legitimately trade Shea Theodore. That could be the answer to the salary cap issues, or it could be Carlson, Marcia, so Smith. Like it could be any of those of Guinea Dodonoff is one as well. There's a handful of guys that are legitimate trade candidates and Shea Theodore is one of them. And he fumbled the puck basically into his own net last night, which is not ideal. 
You're but trying funny. to stick around. It was very funny. A very funny turnover. Like peak comedy turnover right there. It's just your goalie's not there. Nobody's around you. You just have to pick the puck up. But hey, you know what it was, Ed? It was the bad ice. It was bad ice. Boys had a lot of chances last night, but the bad ice uh, precluded them from scoring many goals. A lot of chances for the boys last night. But uh, that, that bad ice really played into it. All right. Are you ready for Marc-Andre Fleury to get traded? Yes. Uh, Elliot Friedman wrote, we should prepare ourselves for the possibility of Marc-Andre Fleury, Washington Capital. At the very least, the Capitals are looking into it. Does he have to get traded? Like the Blackhawks are done yeah, for. They're done for. I and mean, they, they gave him one extra year. So he's got another year on his deal. At the same rate? Yeah, yeah, still what is seven or seven point five, whatever it was. Um, do you think they they kind of have to trade him because they're out of it and Flurry is going to bring back value? I mean, I guess that what, what's he what's he bring back? I, I understand why competing teams want him. I get that more so than yeah. if, if Chicago has to trade him. I mean, if you're the Capitals and you need help, I'd want him too. Yeah, if you're a contender with yeah. some need for goaltending, you you go get him if you can. You trade for Flurry. Now he has a ten-team no uh, trade clause, so he can conceivably have a little bit of control. I'd be curious to know who those ten <sighs> teams are. They might all be like non-contenders, right? They might be. Yeah, that he just doesn't want to go to a bad team. Right. They yeah. could be the ten worst teams in the league, effectively. Which nine worst teams plus Golden Knights? <laughs> he would take one back to Vegas, wouldn't he? <laughs> He probably would. God, yeah. that'd be great. That'd be hilarious. Oh, how many picks would the Golden Knights give up to get him back? <laughs> you got to move out a goalie too. They'll, they'll, they'll trade well, Robin Leonard. Well, the goalie, the goalie moving out is pretty easy. Here we go, Leonard Your and Brossois. They make more than Mark Andre Fleury does. Trade them to Chicago. Get Fleury back. Got to give up a pick for that. Uh, if Leonard's involved, maybe you don't need to get. You a might pick. not. You, you might, might not. get a pick back because. <sighs> Leonard's the under fan contract base. for three more years. The weird, bizarre fan base. If that guy ever came back here, oh, the Be bizarre amazing. weirdness parades you, in the street. Can you imagine the Kelly McCrimmon press conference if they trade for Mark Andre Fleury? Oh. Be incredible. Kelly, Mark said he learned about the trade on Twitter <laughs> that he's coming back. Uh, is this true? Because we thought uh, you were done with that, and then you actually <laughs> told people what's happening around the, the team. <laughs> it's so great. I, but here, okay. I will lay this out as the 1% chance of plausibility here. George McPhee has said in the past, and he said it particularly about Tomas Tatar, that you can't let a prior mistake lead you into another mistake and like, or prevent you from doing something. From making another move. And like with Tomas Tatar, if you remember, they traded what was a first, a second, and third round pick at the deadline to get Tatar. Gerard Gallant didn't like Tomas Tatar. He got scratched in playoff games, and they ended up using him. They traded him to get Max Pacioretty. And mm -hmm. McPhee was like, listen, we we weren't going to just basically try to eat it with Tomas Tatar and, and force it, right? Be like, yeah, we traded for this guy. He has to work. He basically said, yeah, it didn't work, and we're not going to let that prevent us from doing something better. If you looked around, right, if the Golden Knights looked around right now and said, listen, we made a mistake with our goaltending situation. We need to go get that flurry guy back. They have the right mindset to do so. They have the right mindset to go out and say, listen, we know we screwed this up four months ago, but we're going to go get Marc-Andre Fleury now. God, that'd be great. I mean, Leonard's been good the last two games. Better than his previous. Yeah, yes. better than his previous. Had a shutout. Last night he was... He was okay last night. Gave up one funny goal that went under his uh, 
arm. That I always find funny when a goalie's closing his arm and doesn't close it fast enough. It's like there's like a one inch window for the puck to that go through, through and it gets through. I always find that slightly funny. But yeah, he's been better. But if you're the Golden Knights and you say, listen, you haven't been good for like a month, good enough for like a month, give me that flurry guy. Uh, I want Alan Walsh taking that call. Alan, GM, GM. I thought McCrimmon. No, GM, GM. It's McPhee. I'm, I'm, I'm leading this charge. Flurry's going. He's coming back. Oh, that would be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that would be hilarious. In reality, can we get Flurry just traded to a Western Conference contender? Yeah, that's what I was. Uh, that's what I was seeing on here. It's one thing for Washington, but then they'd both have to make the finals for them to play. So better chance if he went to a West, they might catch him in the playoffs. Right. Be tremendous. Even like whatever Edmonton gets into the playoffs and it's a first round matchup, yeah. whenever it would happen, whatever team it would happen with flurry on a Western conference playoff team would be great. Would be absolutely phenomenal. If only they played the golden Knights, right? And then the golden Knights have someone else. Cause the golden Knights have that. to beat Mark Andre flurry to advance. That oh. will be terrific. That will be terrific because somebody's basically going to get to say I won. Right. Like if the golden Knights, Beat a Mark Andre Fleury. We were right all along. Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, we were team, right, right all along. Even if Fleury's great and the Golden Knights just dominate the rest of the team, yeah, you'd be like, yeah, well, this is why we, this is what we're doing. Like we traded away one of the goalies because we wanted to have a great team on the ice. But Mike, can you imagine losing to Mark Andre oh. Fleury in the playoffs? Oh Jesus, that'd be the greatest. The week. season tickets that would go away. That'd be the greatest week I've ever yeah. seen. If they lost a playoff series to Fleury, and if Fleury was great, not like oh they lost to Edmonton five to four. If Flurry was just Four, like one, stealing three, one, games, three two, like the Golden Knights are out shooting the opposition by like two to one, and Flurry's just incredible. Oh, it'll be the best week we've ever seen. Be incredible. Coming up next, Ben Brown joins the show. I haven't met Jordan Love. I don't know much about. Him. I have talked to Aaron numerous times throughout the year, and uh, they have a great relationship. You know, I think people the misconception is that the starting quarterback, it's his job, it's his duty to mentor the the next generation, if you will. And that's not true. Uh, in most cases, the starting quarterback will help. You know, but I don't think it's the starting quarterback would ever go out of his way to help the next guy uh, in line. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Ben Brown. Uh, ben, are we all riding the Kansas City Chiefs into the Super Bowl too soon? Um, I would say no. Obviously, they have you know the seven and a half point spread is pretty drastic for you know a conference championship week. But uh, you know after beating what uh, I think is widely considered the second best team in the AFC last week in kind of dramatic fashion, it does seem like uh, they are definitely in. Uh, pretty sound uh, position to get to the Super Bowl. I do think that, you know, the Bengals may be able to keep it close. Obviously, they did in Week 17, but uh, the Chiefs just have too much going right, especially offensively, I think, to actually lose to uh, Cincinnati as seven-and-a-half-point favorites this weekend. Yeah, we're watching highlights right now. We were watching highlights of that game. Jamar Chase had to go insane. Uh, Burrow had to go nuts. And, they, you know, they, yeah. it was still a really close game at the end. So, so what can they do here? Especially, I mean, yeah, obviously, no. I don't think Burrow can get sacked nine more times. What can they do to keep this close <laughs> and maybe pull it off? Exactly. I mean, and that's what they need, right? They got, you know, the big plays from Jamar Chase, one on broken coverage, one where, you know, the, the Chiefs just couldn't tackle him with four guys around him, basically a huge yards after the catch. So I do think the Bengals played at their ceiling in that game, and I definitely don't think the Kansas City Chiefs did, right? I mean, uh, 
Patrick Mahomes had two plays that definitely should have been interceptions. They had a number of uh, drops, basically the Tyreek Hill one at the end of the first half, another, another long one to Travis Kelsey. So uh, the Chiefs didn't play anywhere close to their ceiling. They did have a number of penalties not going Kansas City's direction and then kind of made uh, a ton of miscues at the end of the game. So it's going to take, take an absolutely perfect performance from Cincinnati, both offensively and defensively, get a lot of those chunk plays from Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. And I think that's the only way that they can really keep it close. Uh, as if they force Kansas City to kind of check it down, have more of these methodical, long, sustained drives as opposed to allowing some deep shots, you know, over the top to Tyreek Hill, to Mikel Hardman. So I don't see that necessarily playing out uh, in this particular matchup. So um, I do think Kansas City could easily run away with it. And I do think, you know, the feel-good story for Cincinnati is probably going to be ending here uh, in the conference championship game. I would love to see the Bengals win just to see the prop bet of how many sacks in the Super Bowl. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it'll be astronomical, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, Joe Burrow basically had four sacks uh, in that matchup in Week 17, of course, in, the, in a couple of bad spots. And I do think that's how Kansas City is going to get off the field right. They did press uh, and make Buffalo beat them on third and fourth down uh, in the divisional round. And I do think if they get into that spot, uh, you know, Joe Burrow has obviously been susceptible to taking some of those sacks in crucial situations. So that's how Kansas City is probably going to be uh, able to stop Cincinnati, kind of making them be, be in those third and long situations and actually getting off the field in this game, uh, as opposed to how they weren't really able to do that uh, on third and long in that Week 17 matchup. But, yeah, the, the, the prop number on sacks for, for the Super Bowl, if it's, you know, uh, Joe Burrow and basically, you know, Matthew Stafford is going to be, uh, you know, one of the highest <laughs> ones I think we've ever seen from a Super Bowl perspective. How mad are you going to be if this comes down to heads or tails? I, I mean, it's to be honest with you, uh, you know, closet Vikings fan. So going all the way back to 2009 when the rules changed initially, uh, when, you know, it used to be where you, all you needed was a field goal in order to win in overtime. That was the point where I knew the overtime rules were completely broken. I don't think that moving it to a touchdown score changed a whole lot. But in saying that, you know, there's not a ton of really good options either. I personally uh, do enjoy the aspect of the college football overtime rules starting at the 25-yard line and kind of trading those possessions after three overtimes, forcing the teams to go to two-point conversion. So I don't mind that, but I do understand how it's not necessarily the overall structure for how the game uh, is played in the first four quarters and how that changes dramatically in overtime. So until we come up with a really good solution, it's unfortunately uh, the world that we have to deal with. But I would absolutely love to see you know some progress made uh, in the overtime rules coming up here before 2022. Who do you want the Vikings to hire? I mean, there's, I, I want him to go more offensive guy. I do think Kevin O'Connell makes a lot of sense coming over from the Rams. Uh, I personally like the Nathaniel Hackett hire a lot for Denver. He was the guy that I was definitely intrigued with. But uh, outside of that, sounds like it's going to be maybe, you know, D'Amico Ryan obviously has a little bit of the connection, uh, you know, with Kwasi Adufamansa. So maybe that's the guy that they go with. But uh, they've interviewed a lot of defensive coordinators, none that – you know, get me overly excited, but I think it's going to probably come down to Demarco Ryan's and Raheem Morris. I do think one of those two probably makes some sense, uh, but my preferred approach would definitely be Kevin O'Connell right now. Rams laying three and a half around town. Can you please promise us this is the last of Jimmy G? (laughs) (laughs) I can promise that, I think. I do think, um, you know, the Rams obviously have lost, what, six in a row to San Francisco, two games this year, but they were up uh, pretty dramatically in that first half of this game in Week 18, up 17-0, to had a third and one situation kind of heading into halftime. If they kick, if they pick up that first down instead of having taken that Matthew Stafford sack with nobody uh, in the backfield, I think that would probably have honestly sealed the game from a lot of ways. Of course, San Francisco got the ball back 
kicked the field goal at the end of the halftime, got the ball back to start the second half, and basically it's a one-score possession game from there. But So the Rams kind of let San Francisco just cling around uh, and win it toward the end, but they were kind of in firm game, and I do think that's how we're going to see uh, this matchup play up again here. I do think uh, you know Los Angeles is going to start out hot for really probably be productive on some stuff underneath Cooper Cup, uh, kind of negating that heavy pass rush uh, situation that San Francisco 49ers handed up. And if they do that, uh, I think that, you know, there's nobody that the 49ers have in that defensive backfield that's capable of slowing down Cooper Cup. So I do expect it to be, you know, a Rams-Chiefs Super Bowl right now. And I do think that makes for the most intriguing storyline uh, as we head into Super Bowl 56. The 49ers, it's something like 30 and 14 or something like that with Jimmy Garoppolo as their starter. And they've only ever lost one postseason game with him as their starter. And that was in the Super Bowl. How are the 49ers different than most teams where average to bad quarterback play doesn't really catch up to them? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it obviously starts with Kyle Shanahan's scheme, you know, run heavy approach. But the thing that they do is they utilize motion at such a high clip in the NFL, by far the highest offensive clip. Uh, and it negates the way that these defenses are successful. And in saying that, the defenses uh, that do have a lot of success in the NFL right now are set up to stop teams like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're set up to stop teams. Uh, like Kansas City and Buffalo to a lesser extent. They're not necessarily set up uh, to handle a lot of this misdirection, zone-heavy run-blocking scheme where they're kind of forced to play a completely different schematic change uh, than what they're used to in basically all the other weeks that they match up. Uh, and the Rams specifically, they obviously have players at the front four, but Jalen Ramsey is this guy who can kind of completely eliminate uh, the number one wide receiver option on that opposing team. And and San Francisco definitely has that option of Debo Samuel, but he lines up all over all over the field, right? He lines up in the slot, he lines up out wide, he lines up in the backfield, and Jalen Ramsey isn't necessarily tracking him. So they kind of take away the best chess piece that the Los Angeles Rams have in Jalen Ramsey, and they kind of move things around so much where it's really difficult to disguise the defense that uh, they're going to run. So Jimmy G understands you know, the coverage and what, what to expect pre-snap, and then he really only has to make one-read throws, right? He's going to throw the ball to where Kyle Shanahan wants him to. That's one reason why we probably see a little bit higher of, you know, a turnover-worthy uh, play percentage from him because he's not necessarily making a ton of reads, and I do think that is one reason why you can have success uh, with just an average quarterback in this particular offense, but it also goes back to the fact that defenses just aren't ready or set up on a week-to-week basis to handle this particular type of offense, and I do think it makes it really difficult week up to kind of prepare for that particular match. But, of course, Kyle Shanahan. Uh, definitely stayed ahead of the curve, at least as far as like folding in, you know, new looks from a personnel and play calling perspective, and to, and to continue to add to his team throughout the whole season to make it, you know, probably one of the most complicated, most unique systems that we have uh, in football at the offensive level right now. And I do think that's the reason why Jimmy Garoppolo or a number of other quarterbacks can be really successful in this particular offense. You know, Samuel's such a unique player, but over time, and I know it's hard to predict with him taking the hits as a running back as well and, and, and as a wide receiver? Like, how does how much does that limit guys' careers? I mean, can you see this guy, you know, really trying to just concentrate on one spot? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I, I think you kind of hit on a point that, you know, we're still trying to figure out here, like, the number of number of hits and the number of big hits that running backs take obviously shortens their career. And if Debo Samuel is going to continue to line up in the backfield and be, you know, the guy at least in crucial situations that's picking up some of these third and long, uh, type play calls, he's going to take a lot more hits than that. So I think if they want to kind of, uh, you know, 
career window, they're probably going to have to play him out wide a little bit more. They're probably going to have to play him in the slot, get him more so involved on bubble screens and actually handing them off the football and backfield. So I think it could have you know an adverse impact at certain points, and part of that is because he is so dynamic, it is so fast, and we do see you know the curve on these players' careers fall off so much more quickly uh, the more hits that they take in the body. So yeah, it's definitely a concern. Uh, very unique player, obviously, and you want to see him perform at the highest level as long as possible. So maybe uh, some consideration of him maybe turning back into more of a traditional wide receiver uh, is best for his long-term career outlook. Ben Brown with us. Uh, if the Raiders hire Josh McDaniels, what do you make of that hire? I don't I don't mind it, right? I do think, you know, obviously moving on from Rich Passaccia makes a ton of sense. I do think that getting an offensive guy, especially in the AFC West, where you're going to be competing with, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert and maybe even what sounds like now Aaron Rodgers potentially uh, as well in Denver. So they need a guy that can potentially, uh, you know, build up that offensive side of the football. And maybe it is with Derek Carr. Maybe it's, you know, going to take a few years in order to get to that level. But I do think Josh McDaniels didn't necessarily show it in Denver, but obviously has done it with, uh, you know, a number of, um, you know, quarterbacks that outside of Tom Brady, like, you know, Mac Jones this year, I do think what he was able to do with him uh, definitely speaks to him being able to not only develop a guy, but be in the same vein as this Kyle Shanahan where maybe you don't need uh, an elite level quarterback in order to compete week in and week out with some of these top teams. So I don't mind the hire. I was kind of interested with, you know, Harbaugh as well, but I do think Josh McDaniels is probably a step up from that. And the question becomes, you know, who do they get at, you know, the defense coordinator position to potentially stop uh, some of these high powered uh, quarterbacks that they're going to be facing off with, you know, two times basically every single year. I was stunned this morning how long it's been in Denver. I thought he was there sooner than he has been, but it's been a really long time. Should they be concerned at all what happened there? It appeared he wanted full control. It appeared he alienated people. But as Tyler said earlier this morning, it was only a season and a half. That's hard to really judge, guy. But should they be concerned at all what happened there? Or do you think he's just grown and matured and he probably learned a lot from it? I mean, you have to hope that he grows, grew mature. I do think, you know, the most concerning thing I think taken away from that was his infatuation with Tim Tebow, right? And his evaluation of him and thinking that he could mold him into this, you know, uh, almost elite quarterback, which just wasn't going to be the case, right? So I do think that's the most concerning thing, but it sounds like he definitely wants uh, a big say in the decision-making process, and it does seem like the Las Vegas Raiders obviously uh, intent on giving him that, but yeah, I don't think if you're evaluating him solely on, you know, his one spin as a head coach, you're going to come away with too many glowing reviews. So obviously you have to, you know, buy into the fact that at some point, one of these guys that falls from the Bill Belichick tree is going to be successful, hopefully in the same vein as Bill Belichick has been for quite some time. And I do think that uh, that one guy can definitely be Josh McDaniels, but we just have not seen that yet at the NFL level. So uh, that is definitely uh, probably a concerning takeaway coming up here for the Las Vegas Raiders. Well, he is Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus. Ben, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. Great stuff. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Have a good show. You too. So there is Ben that. Brown. It's going to be Belichick's new girlfriend. She's going to be the one who takes a team to the Super Bowl. That's my prediction. Much like my Scorigami, if I hit on it, I'm a genius. Coming up next, find out who Bill Belichick's new girlfriend is. Oh, Carmelo and somebody in the stands are Uh-oh. having words. Yeah, I mean, big time. Big time words. Well, we've seen this with the Lakers before. LeBron's had a couple of fans tossed out, and Melo is not standing for anything that he's hearing right now. Security is... Asking him to leave, I believe. The guy that the initial guy that Carmelo was approaching. A couple of people have him yeah, to leave. Yeah, a couple of guys. We're back to the press box with Graney and Bischoff. 
The Memphis Grizzlies are giving away Jaraf bobbleheads. It's a giraffe right. with a John Morant jersey right. on it. I love this team. They're great. Can I make a house rule? Can we start calling them our Memphis Grizzlies? No. <sighs> Derek Carr, did you know he is now the longest tenured quarterback in the yes. AFC? Yes. He's been with the Raiders since 2014. The next closest since Ben Roethlisberger's retired. The next closest. Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson been with their team since 2017. That's a three-year gap between Derek Carr and everybody else, which is amazing considering he just played in his first playoff game this month. Um, so, yeah, Derek Carr, longest tenured. Now, on his brother David Carr, who was on Colin, Colin Cowherd yesterday and said, there has to be a commitment from the organization that they will give him what he needs to succeed. He'd love to do it in Las Vegas but wants a chance. He was reading from the note card that Derek sent him before the interview. You know what's actually funny? Right? The, the, the sentence he said before that was, this isn't from Derek. This is from an NFL analyst from NFL Network. He made it. He was trying to make it very clear. This is what I think. This is not what my brother is told me. Is that what me. he said? Yes, okay. he did. All right. Okay. He was trying to be like, this is just my opinion. Nobody believes that. <laughs> What happened though to Derek Carr saying he'd retire before yeah. playing for another team? I know he was. was he was Mister All Raider. He was in. Now his brothers team. out here being yeah. like, you gotta he, give him what he needs. Is that an offensive line that won't get him killed? Uh, another receiver? What, what does he? What does he need most? That's what's fascinating because the biggest complaint for years was that Derek Carr never had a defense, and the defense got better this year. The defense yeah. is. The reason they made the playoffs because Derek Carr was leading them to 17 points in those last four wins most of the time, and they were still winning games. So they finally got a defense that could hold teams under 30 for the first time, right? And they made the playoffs. But because the roster's so bad, the only way they could get a defense was by blowing up the offensive line. So whoever the new GM slash head coach is, whoever's going to make the decisions on what the roster looks like, they're going to have to do a very good job in the first offseason to give Derek Carr everything he needs to succeed. Because what Gruden and Mayock found out last offseason was because they had messed up so many draft picks and free agent signings that they kind of had to choose. They had to choose between do we have a good offensive line or do we try to improve the defense? And they chose defense, and it worked to some degree. If you can have a good offseason, you can conceivably fix both, right? If you draft an offensive sure. lineman in the first round, who's not terrible, right? Then you can conceivably make the offensive line better and cheaply because draft picks are pretty cheap. So it's possible. But the problem is, is that Derek Carr, what we've learned through his career, he needs everything to be good. Like you can't have two holes on this team and expect to win much with Derek Carr. That's just not reality. He needs everything to have a chance. Do you know what I want more than anything? Just for the folly of it, I want him to hold out. It would be funny. It would be hilarious. So what does he do? He's Mr. Reader. If, well, if the new GM and head coach come in and they say, you know what, Derek Carr's got one year left on his deal. Derek Carr's a fine quarterback, but we're not ready to commit a thirty-five million dollar contract to him. We're not going to give him an extension. He's going to play out this final year on the deal. What does Derek Carr do if the Raiders come in and say play I mean, out the final year? His agent and him want the extension. And we've talked about Aaron Rodgers. We've talked about others when, you know, whatever they want, they're not getting. I I think he might not report. 
if he reports, I think it's the whole in good faith thing, and he, he trusts that they're going to take care of him. But I this is a new GM, a new coach. Uh, it's not like the old guard were like, hey, we'll take care of you eventually. I don't think they're going to be beholden to Derek Carr at all. They're so going to come in and decide whether they want Derek Carr to be their quarterback for the next five years. Are we going to get the Khalil Mack situation 2.0? New coach comes in. Good player has one year left on his deal. Good player wants a new contract. And the yeah. new coach slash GM says, we're not giving it to you. Show up, buddy. And then they absolutely don't show could. up and they trade him. Yeah, absolutely could. Yeah. I guess that's plausible. I mean, I just don't think he reports if there's no extension. I think he expects an extension. He obviously wants an extension, thinks he deserves an extension. And he should. Like, he's got one year left on his deal. He should absolutely. It's in Derek Carr's best interest to hold out until he gets an extension. To push the envelope. Absolutely. Because we're not saying he doesn't, shouldn't do it. I just think it'd be funny if he did. Oh, it'd be be an interesting storyline simply because the amount of times he's talked about, like, team first and everything. Yes, loves the Raiders, wants to be here. No one cares. I'd retire. It would be funny to see that guy. That's right. No one cares. See that guy then hold out would be funny. But. I think he should. Like, if if the Raiders don't give him an extension, or whatever, if they trade him or whoever, whatever team he's on, if he doesn't have a new contract. Right. He should hold out until yes. he gets one. Like, that should be Yeah, his. we're not saying... That's the thing. I, I should have prefaced with that. I mean, we're not saying he shouldn't. No. We're just yeah. saying he probably should to get what he wants. And that's what people do in this day and age in the yeah. NFL. And if I'm the Raiders... I'm trying to get him to play without giving him the contract yes. extension. Like I'm trying to get one more year out of him at 19. I mean, million what are the odds that GM and coach come in and just to fall in love with them and just think this is the guy who's taking the Super Bowl? Yeah, pretty low. I mean, they probably come in and say this guy's solid. We can do something with him, but win the Super Bowl? Probably not.